I know some of you are very frugal and not prone to buying something on impulse. But most of us, at least once in our lives, saw something in a store window or a catalog or on QVC <laughs> or in a commercial, and you just had to have it, regardless of how much it cost. Right? Am I right? Yeah, most of you have done that. Ten years ago or more, I was at the uh, All Workers Conference in Seaside uh, for the Northwest District. And during some free time during the conference, I'm walking down the streets in Seaside, and I walk by one of the, you know, the shops there, and I see one of those luck cats. You know, those cats that you see in the Chinese restaurant, and they have the arm that waves like this, right? And, uh, but this one was, was big, and it was gold and glittery, and it just, I was looking at him, and he was just beckoning me come in and buy me. I just had to have this thing. It was $60. But I bought it, took it home, took it out of the box and showed Jill and the boys, look at this, look what I got at Seaside. And this thing, you know. And they just looked at me like, are you nuts? <laughs> this is how it is with Christ and our salvation. Jesus has to have us for his own and is willing to pay the ultimate price for us. To us, some things in this world are to die for. You know, figuratively speaking, of course. But with Jesus, we are literally to die for. This is an important reality for us, especially today when we're living in the hottest recorded summer ever in human history, according to the journalists and scientists. Particularly the journalists are having a field day with this hot weather. And, you know, here we are enjoying this beautiful 82-degree weather, right? But our brothers and sisters elsewhere are sweltering. But the journalists are saying that the weather we remember from our childhood is never coming back. Vacations as we know them are over. This is what they're writing. And some places <clears throat> are no longer habitable for human life. It sounds like we're dying. We know this to be true already, right? Because the Bible says the world and everything in it is in decay. Nevertheless, it's a comfort to know Jesus has already died and by doing so has redeemed us and this earth from everlasting death. Now, that's something that journalists and scientists should take note of, although I know that's not likely going to happen. But these parables in our text today show humans are to die for in the eyes of their creator. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This means the kingdom of heaven is hidden from plain sight like buried treasure. People have walked right over it, camped out on it, or planted grain on it for years, not knowing the treasure that was buried under the soil. The kingdom of heaven is hidden to the eyes of the world. To the world, the kingdom looks like water in a baptismal font 
preacher and a clerical, bread and wine on a table, and a man from Nazareth in Galilee who had the misfortune of being crucified. You see, the glory is hidden in all that, like the glory of Jesus' divine nature is hidden under the humility of manger and cross. Or for that matter, our glory as new creations in Christ is hidden under the old flesh of Adam. When we're talking kingdom of heaven, hidden is another way of saying mystery, which is another way of saying sacrament. What is hidden must be revealed, told to you, or you wouldn't know it. And so the kingdom of heaven, though, is he, though it's here, though it's present, is revealed only in faith. You and I must hear and believe. Otherwise, there's nothing much to see visibly. Martin Luther points out in the Catechism, God's kingdom comes when the word is preached and heard and then believed and then lived out. The hidden treasure gives value to the whole field, too. Were you or I to stumble across that buried treasure in the field, we'd simply come back under the cover of darkness at night and cart the, tre the treasure off with no one the wiser and we all the richer. That's how we'd handle it. But that's not the way the kingdom of heaven works. In the kingdom of heaven, the man buys the whole field, the whole farm, as it were, broken down barn and all, broken down barn, broken down silos, broken down dilapidated house, rusty tractors and all. Instead of redeeming only the redeemable and salvaging only the salvageable, Jesus comes and dies for the whole world. And he literally buries his death and life in the world, which, as in last Sunday's parable, is a field, right? He buries his death and life in the world as a hidden treasure, giving infinite value to the whole thing. The only thing which pleases God in this world is the death and resurrection of his Son, by which all things were made and restored to him. That's why for two millennia now, the Christian church confesses that the world is precious to God for Jesus' sake. Now, regarding the parable of the pearls, a problem with that one is that we get distracted by the pearl and hear it as something like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price, which is so priceless you must give up everything to have it. That's true, but that's not the point. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking pearls. So imagine a pearl dealer in Asia or the Middle East or anywhere there are those big marketplaces in the city, right? And there's a section in each one of these markets, right? A mini community of vendors and dealers for certain kinds of things. So in these big marketplaces you have the pearl district, the garment district, the, you know, huge. These are, these are block, city blocks, big marketplaces. Ever been to one of these? 
I've been to one in, in Istanbul. It, it takes you all day to go through it, but there's different sections. And there's a jewelry sec, a gem section, and a, a district for everything. So imagine one of these. And the pearl dealer is going from, from dealer to dealer, vendor to vendor. He's working the vendors to try to find the best pearl at the best price. And he finally finds the one, and he's just got to have it. He sells everything he has to buy this one pearl. But there's a nuance in this parable regarding the attitude of the merchant. He buys the pearl for the sheer joy of owning it. It's worth everything he has for it. This parable has been interpreted many ways through the ages. The chief meaning which Christians have taken from it, from the time Jesus spoke it, parallels the first words of John from his eyewitness testimony. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, the kingdom of heaven is like the seeking love of God who searches high and low for that one pearl of infinite value. Finding it, he gives everything he has, himself, to make it his treasured possession. You see what this means. It means you are God's treasured pearl of great value. He paid a great price for you. He values you above all things, and that is such good news. The not-so-good news is we sometimes think we can bargain with God. We think we're the shrewd merchant who works all the pearls of the religious jewelry market and having found Jesus, give up everything to own Him and make Him ours. We want to be the hero of the parable. But this parable exposes old Adam religion for the fake coin that it is, or the fake pearl. Do you really want to buy the whole farm to own the treasure? Do you really want to give up everything to follow Jesus? A rich young ruler, when posed with that prospect, turned and went home with a long face. We can't scoff at him and say, oh, I'd never do the same, I'd never do that. No, some would argue, perhaps, but thankfully this parable is not about us making the right choice. It's about God's good choice to seek and save us. It's about the love of God and Christ, which stops at nothing to save the world from sin and death and the devil. It's about a God who works hiddenly and mysteriously to redeem this world. And it's about your value to God. You are worth his only son, his shed blood, his innocent innocent suffering and death. And again, <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. It hauls in everything. Now, you've seen the videos of fishing boats. I don't know, maybe some of you served on a fishing boat. I've, I've met a few. The crane lifts the net into the boat and there's... <laughs> There's creatures of all kinds in the net, right? Squirming around, and this is weird-looking stuff. 
And you notice immediately the fishermen grab the bad stuff and they toss it right out of the net, back into the sea. That's the world in this parable. With all its goodness, badness, beauty, and ugliness. No one and nothing are outside the net of Jesus' death and resurrection. He's got the whole world in his hands when those hands are nailed to the cross. Now, not everyone is saved because there are those who don't want it. But it is for everyone. In other words, the net hauls in everything, but some fish choose to jump back into the sea. That's the kingdom of heaven, whose king is crucified and risen, who takes away the sin of the world and your sin and mine. That hidden, costly, all-embracing kingdom is yours in Christ, your birthright in baptism as God's own child. We can gladly say it. We've been caught in the net together to be brought onto the shores of resurrection and by the grace of God in his mercy in Jesus to raise us up again after death as saints and citizens of his kingdom forever. So, what again is the kingdom of heaven like? It is to die for. Amen.